Our scripture lesson this morning, friends, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Hear now these words from Matthew. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This, friends, is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was just a day, like any other day, for Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has been at this ministry thing for a while now, um, and he's still got a little ways to go in his story or in his time on earth. He's out in the world doing what he and his disciples do. They're doing all the disciple-y things. They're healing people and they're spreading the gospel. They're fishing for people and they're accepting the outcasts. Jesus is just doing his Jesus things and living his best Jesus life with the disciples. It's been kind of a intense few days leading up to the scripture we read today. Um, what happened in that time period is that Jesus predicted his own death. He told his disciples that he would die. And more than that, that his disciples would deny him. He told his disciples this really heavy news. He foretold his coming death. And he foretold that the people who love him most would not love him in death. It's six days later from that moment, from that proclamation. And I imagine that for the disciples, Jesus's words are still sinking in, right? That's not something you like easily digest. They're still processing the prediction of Jesus's death and fearing the reality of life without him, they know Jesus is usually right. And so what if he's right about this? They haven't necessarily talked about it since, at least that we know about. They seem to have just gone on about their lives, but I have to think it has to be lingering in the back of Jesus's disciples' minds. Not only that he will die, but that they will betray him in that death. They're all six days later here in the scripture, just like sitting around, maybe feeling sort of heavy about everything. And Jesus looks at them and asks Peter and James and John to come with him. He doesn't tell them where they're going and he doesn't really 
give them any clues, they don't really ask what's happening. They just get up. They follow where he leads. They don't stop to ask questions. They don't stop to say, why aren't we bringing the other dudes, Jesus? They don't know what's going on. Maybe the other disciples are not actually present. Maybe it's just these three with Jesus right now, right? They could be out gathering food. They could be out ministering to people. They could be hunting. They could be doing so many other things. Maybe they're all there and Jesus just selected these three as the special students of the day. The truth is we don't know. But for whatever reason, Jesus takes these three with him and they follow him. They climb up a mountain, wondering along the way, what on earth is Jesus getting us into right now? Eventually, winded, I imagine, they find themselves at the top of the mountain. And I have to think, they have to be tired, right? They just climbed the mountain and there's no one else around. It's just the four of them on top of this mountain. And then something extraordinary happens. The thing happens that we celebrate today, and that is Jesus before them. His face begins to shine, and his clothing begins to dazzle, and he just radiates. He glows before them in a way they've never seen and will probably not see again, at least not for a very long. And then to add to the craziness of this, of this glowing Jesus in front of them, Moses and Elijah, these important figures in the Old Testament or what we sometimes call the Hebrew Bible, they appear on the mountain too, right next to them and just start talking to Jesus. And y'all, this is incredible, not only because there was no one on the mountain when they climbed up, but if you forgot or you didn't know, Moses and Elijah are long dead. <laughs> they are not alive. They have been dead quite a while. And here they are in front of them. While Jesus is a glowing, glowing presence. And in this moment, Peter gets overwhelmed. Jesus is lit up like a Christmas tree and two people who are long dead have somehow made an appearance again and Peter just doesn't know what to do, y'all. So he starts rambling around and doing what he can. Peter just starts fussing over them, right? He's that ant that you haven't seen in a while. <laughs> he is like, I can build you a tent. Would you like a tent? I can make you a tent. You can each have your own dwelling place and we can all stay here together. It would be good, right? If that's what you want, Jesus, if that's what you and Elijah and Moses want, I can do that. I can make us all a dwelling place and we can stay here together. And then suddenly, a voice breaks through the clouds. It cuts Peter off in the middle of his thoughts and it says, this is my son. This is my son who I am pleased with. Listen to him. Fear hits the disciples in this moment and they drop to the ground trembling and Jesus touches them saying, do not be afraid. When they finally collect themselves enough 
to do as Jesus has asked when they're finally able to pick their shaking bodies up off the ground and catch their breath and wrap their heads around the fact that they are pretty sure they just heard the voice of God. In addition to Jesus being lit up like a Christmas tree and two very holy dead guys being in front of them, as they get up, they realize Moses and Elijah are gone. And Jesus is normal again. It's like nothing ever happened. And back down the mountain they go. While this is a story about Jesus's transfiguration, which is what we celebrate in the church calendar today, today's known as Transfiguration Sunday. And that is the Sunday that marks Jesus revealing himself in this light shining way atop a mountain to his disciples. That's the Sunday that marks the presence of Elijah and Mo Moses in the Holy Land coming down beside Jesus. It marks the affirmation from God, God's self, that Jesus is the Holy One whom God is pleased with and we should listen to Jesus. It marks all of that. And this scripture is about the disciples, which is something I think we often miss when we talk about Transfiguration Sunday. This story is about Peter. It's not just about Jesus. It's not just about these holy men. It's not just about God's voice. This story is also about the people who witness these miraculous, holy miracles. Peter is a disciple who gets a bad rap. And honestly, Peter is my personal favorite. Not that you should have favorite disciples, but Peter is mine. <laughs> he is this very difficult disciple. He is always interrupting or disrupting. Peter tends to be very anxious and impulsive, which I personally relate to. <laughs> Peter tends to miss the point a lot because he's... He's, he's so busy in his head. It seems like he's just thinking at 10,000 miles a minute and he is trying to do and do and go and go and Peter misses it a lot of the time. We see that in this story, right? It's really what makes Peter so relatable is that Peter tries so hard and he gets it wrong 99% of the time, but he doesn't stop trying. He doesn't stop climbing the mountain when Jesus says, come on, Peter, let's go. Peter follows Jesus up this mountain like he always does. He does it without question. He's hiked up mountains with others. He's hiked up this mountain with other disciples. And I think he's probably still trying to wrap his brain around the fact that Jesus is going to die. He's still trying to wrap his brain around the fact that the disciples will deny Christ and what if I'm one of them? What if I am one of the people Jesus is speaking about right now? He gets up there and he sees Jesus enveloped in this holy glow with two of these great prophets of the Old Testament, with two fathers of their faith, and that's a lot for anyone to dig in, y'all. What do you do with that? I have no idea. I can't begin to imagine how I would react in the midst of that. 
This is not a good analogy, but it's kind of like you can't react how you're going to react, predict how you're going to react in the middle of a crisis, right? None of us know what, what we're going to do if there's some sort of accident or something around us until we experience it. None of us know what we would do if we landed on top of a mountain with Jesus and Moses and Elijah until we get dropped on that mountain with them. Peter's reaction, though, is to, to start making things comfortable. <laughs> His response is so interesting. He just starts rambling and skittering around. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know what's going on. I think he wants to understand it. He wants to know what this means. But he immediately gives in to his impulse to just go a million miles an hour and do things. He wants to get it right. He's seen a glimpse of the divine. He sees Christ glowing in all of Christ's holiness. He sees Elijah and Moses and Peter wants to pitch a tent. And I think that makes sense, right? This is good. This is an incredible moment. Peter is on top of the mountain with Jesus and Moses and Elijah and he wants to pitch a tent. He starts running around and skittering all over the place and rambling. And he's like, Jesus, I can, I can make us a place to stay. We can stay here. Each of y'all can have your own dwelling place. Just tell me what to do. And it makes so much sense that Peter wants to do that because it means that Peter wants to stay on top of this mountain with Jesus and these other holy folks for as long as he possibly can. Peter wants to capture this moment so he can grasp it. He wants to pitch a tent so that he can let all of this glory around him sink in. He wants to sit in this divine moment to let it sink into his bones. He wants to memorize it. He wants to stay on this mountain as long as he can and ask the questions that his mind is racing and wanting to ask. He wants to do great things for these holy men. Peter just wants to make sense of all this. He wants to take it in. He wants to bottle up this moment, right? He wants to catch it in a jar like a child might catch a lightning bug that amazes them. Because when you've been that close to the divine, there's no way you ever want to move away from it. When you've had this literal mountaintop experience, when you've encountered God in these mind-boggling ways, you just want to pitch a tent and you want to stay there in that good for as long as you can. You want to soak it up and dissect it. Peter wants to pitch a tent because Peter knows what he heard before he came up the mountain and that's that Jesus is going to die and he's going to contribute to it in some way. But if they pitch a tent on top of this mountain, it'll all be okay. He can stay there with Christ. They can dwell together. The problem is that the divine, these moments, these holy moments like Peter just had, they can't be grasped. They can't be bottled up or jarred. They can't be processed as quickly as they happen. They can't be 
easily summarized with words. Having been in the ordination process in the Methodist Church for a little while now, and still in it, honestly, at this point, um, something that they ask you to do is to summarize your call story. And that, for me, is the part that I have the hardest time with, and it's not because I'm not called. Well, let's hope not anyway. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not because I'm not called. It's because how do you articulate God? How do you articulate your experience of the divine? How do you articulate your experience of Jesus? How do you explain what it was like to hear God's voice? Putting words to divine experiences is not just hard. It's got to be nearly impossible. We can't do it justice. And so we just feel like our language and our expression is inadequate. It's how I feel every time they ask me, Sarah, tell us your call story. Because I can't do justice to God's story, even if it's in my own life. I think Peter, he wants to understand this. He wants to be able to articulate it well. He wants to soak it in. He wants to make sense about it. But what he misses is that he can't pitch a tent on this mountain. He can't sit in it for as long as he wants to. He can't just stay there clinging to Jesus and deeply breathing in Christ's holiness till he soaks all of it up. He can't package this moment away. He can't take pictures of it. He can't put together a scrapbook of the time he hung out on a mountaintop with, <laughs> with his best bros and Jesus and Moses and Elijah and like, God, kind of. <laughs> he can't do it. You can't bottle feelings. You can't package moments. You can't stay on the mountain forever. You can't articulate what it was you saw on the mountain when you get back down from it. And that's a hard one, y'all. I don't know how many of you have had mountaintop experiences or how many of you have had those moments where God was just so close to you in incredible ways, where you saw God, where you felt so close to Jesus. I've had them. And the thing about it is they seem to never last long enough. And when you come back down, eventually the, the magic of them just sort of fades away. But when you're in it, you want to stay there. And you never can. The problem with divine encounters and mountaintop experiences and all of those things is that the most you can do is sit in it. The most you can do is be present for the moments that it's happening, to spend those few moments probably in awe. The best we can do is hear God's voice calling us. And out of our our impulse to pitch a tent and run around and grapple at time to just say no to that. To sit in stillness and just let the moment be while we're there. To let the encounter with God be what it is. Because when Peter 
gets up from the ground after falling to it, it's over. And all he did was run around. While he was busy trying to pitch a tent so they could all stay there together, he missed the time that he had up there. At least he missed what it could have been. Mountaintop experiences are not things that we can stay in. They're just moments where we can see Jesus, where we can look at him and we can soak him in. Mountaintop experiences and divine encounters, they're fleeting. They won't last longer just by our sheer will. And the truth is, I don't know that they, when all put together, will make up a very significant amount of time in our lives, right? What if I lived to 90 and I had a whole of 10 minutes worth of divine encounters? I don't know. I don't know that they really will make up that much time or you'll live to 90 and you only had a week's worth of feeling really that close to Jesus. Mountaintop experiences will end and then like Jesus and the disciples, we have to come back down the mountain. However much time we got, however close we got to God, we have to come down. And the magic and the closeness, it will fade. Mountaintop experiences are incredible. They're breathtaking. They make us desperate for more Jesus. Sometimes they transform us. It's amazing what only 10 minutes and 90 years can do in your life. They're incredibly peaceful and calm and they make us just want to stay in that place forever because we've never felt so safe and seen and whole and close to God. So often we spend our moments in these mountaintop encounters like Peter does, desperately trying to make time move slower, trying to pitch a tent and focusing on the seconds that are counting down rather than just sitting and enjoying the seconds that are passing by. We fail to look at Christ and to see his glory. Coming down the mountain is really scary. It feels dangerous and disappointing. We come back from these types of experiences empty-handed. We can't, we don't have anything, right? Maybe a souvenir, but like we don't, we don't have anything except what we felt. We come back with those happy feelings and we want to make them last forever and inevitably they will go away because that's how humans work. In the following days, we find ourselves dwelling on this moment, longing it back, desperately trying to figure out how to get back into that good feeling. And we never find it back. Maybe we land in a new one, but we can never get back in that old one. Coming down the mountain is difficult and it's necessary. It's not a super cheery sermon today, <laughs> y'all, if you miss it. Because what the scripture tells us is that these incredible close moments with the divine, what Transfiguration Sunday tells us, is that they're going to happen. We're going to have times when we feel close to Christ, when we experience God, and they're going to be good. Y'all, they're going to be so, so good. 
and we can try, try to sit in them and enjoy them and not just run around missing out on things, but they're gonna end and we're gonna have to come back down the mountain. And y'all, what's back down the mountain is usually disappointing, disappointing, especially if you've already gone up it. What's sitting at the bottom of the mountain is the world as it is. And the world as it is right now is a pretty messed up place. This past week was devastating. This, this world that sits at the bottom of the mountain is not something that's holy or close to God in, in a lot of ways. The good part of this story is that it tells us that Jesus is willing to show himself to us. That he glows and shines and his light is present. This story tells us that such closeness to God is possible. It tells us that while we come back down the mountain, we too can be transfigured and transformed. We can become people who glow, who spend the rest of their lives sharing the light of Christ as we bask in it. We come back down the mountain, we can look around at the broken world and go, oh my gosh, I wish I was back up there. That's fine. And we can also go, oh my gosh, this is nothing like that was. And how do I bring that here? How do I let the transformation and the holiness I just experienced transform this place? How do I let that make this holier? We as people, as we approach this season of Lent, this Wednesday, have a lot of heavy things on our heart, right? This has been a week of oppression and injustice being done across the world in so many ways. So many ways. I can't even begin to name them. We've seen wars break out. We've seen unjust policies. We've seen attacks on trans and non-binary and queer bodies, especially young bodies. We've seen racism and just so many things. And it could get us down, y'all. It could really get us down. And it's okay if it does. But in this Lent season, I want to invite us to really look at the broken world as it sits around us, as we're at the bottom of the mountain, and to think about the Christ who shines, who's revealed himself to us, who glows, to think about God's word and that God would dare to speak to us. And suddenly, we realize when we hear that, that this world, as broken as it is, 
is something that we can shine upon as individuals and more than that, something we can continuously work alongside Christ and pray for Christ to keep shining in. We can pray for the skies to open up, for light to shine, for God's voice to speak some sense into us all. Amen.
a reminder, friends, that this week, this Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday, and we will be worshiping in the church sanctuary at 6 p.m. If you don't know what Ash Wednesday is, if you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service, that's totally fine. You can come if it's not your thing. Um, I guess you never have to come back again. <laughs> but I invite you to come and be with us um, on Wednesday at 6 p.m. And I invite you to hear these words. As the next time we gather together, we will have entered into the season of Lent. Holy God, you opened the skies and spoke your word saying, this is my child whom I am well pleased with. In a season of brokenness and pain and suffering, we ask that we would see your light that we would be changed by it. And we would be people who you would open the skies for and say, these are my children who I am also well pleased with. Amen. Go in peace, friends.